Welcome back to the program. Father Nagel is going to lead us with a scripture reading and a prayer. I'd like to begin with John 14, 15 through 17. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of truth, which the world cannot accept because it neither sees nor knows it, but you know it because it remains in you and will be in you. Gracious God, I ask you, as we head closer to Pentecost and in this day itself, um, that the Spirit might be with us and that we might be, again, just filled with the grace necessary to um, be the people you want us to be, to speak the word you wish us to speak today in this program. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father Nagel. Father Nagel, I, to be honest with you, I think... Um, I don't know for sure, but I think the ordination in the Archdiocese of Seattle is, is coming up in it a couple is. of weeks. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, it's a little later this year. Okay. And um, and Father Lewis, you were at the ordination this year. Yes, we okay. just had a um, week ago. Yeah. So uh, last week, Father Nagel, we had a chance, to, we were talking a bit about um, formation, formation as a disciple. And mm-hmm. Father Lewis and I, we used the seminary as a framework, providing a framework for if you're going to grow as a disciple of Jesus, if you're going to grow in the various dimensions of discipleship, the seminary tends to put a point of emphasis on very specific aspects in that framework of being formed as a disciple. And we focused on theological formation, the formation of the mind, spiritual formation, the formation of the heart. And those two aren't strictly separate, but they are uh-huh. distinct pastoral formation as uh, or apostolic formation which is formation for action in the world we talked about community as the context for formation but also an integral part of being formed as a disciple and then father lewis uh, uh rightly brought up human formation right. that grace builds on nature and that there is a way in which uh, you have to build uh, build off of creation if you're going to have uh, the supernatural level at work in in the lives of young men. You ought to you ought to know and be able to embrace, celebrate, and nurture the the human dimensions, the foundational dimensions of uh, of being a a fine human being that then will lead to a godly uh, a godly man and a, and a holy priest so um that's just that's just the framework did i did i summarize that well father lewis yeah that's good and yeah. we uh, also like some of the theological takeaways that remain with us as we um as we continue to live out our lives and me and my ministry as a priest like what what were i what was i able to glean from seminary education that i i strive to share with my parishioners but uh, yeah that's yeah right. that's that's true yeah we did do that uh, and I, do you think we should put Father Nagel on the spot? Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Why not? Why not, Father? Father Nagel, you don't mind. You're a pastor. You, this is, this never happens to you at all. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, one of the things that that we had come to in our own uh, time in these years in the seminary was among those different uh, dimensions of formation. If you said what is paid attention to is what is valued. Where would you say, in your experience of being in the seminary, was the principal emphasis among those different dimensions of formation? Uh, just as a, because we had the same answer, and I'm wondering if if you would agree. Wow. So um, I'm I'm used to that kind of structure because I think it's in some of the documents of the spiritual, the academic, the intellectual, the human, and the pastoral. I felt. So just, again, on the spot, t- sort of just a quick uh, memory jog here. I thought the spiritual was actually pretty weak um, in the sense of, um, again, I it, I don't want to, I hate to throw my formators under the bus in some ways, but I don't think that uh, it's hard to give what you don't have. And so I, I, that being said, I think actually the seminary was a place where I grew greatly in prayer and spiritual life, but I don't think it was from the official uh, formation program. I think the academics um, were actually pretty good. I think that was that was definitely. I, I think that was focused on, and I think the pastoral. If by that you mean the um, there was a pastoral dimension which we were given experiences to do ministry um, in different forms. I think that was paid attention to as well. I think the human formation. I think. <laughs> Again, this is going to sound bad. I think they, they thought they were doing a good job, good job of that, but I think that that's, that was a weakness too. 
um, in terms. But I think that the, the contemporary propedeutic year that's coming up, I don't know if you all talked about that last week, but the idea in, in the universal church now that there's going to be a year before academic work where you just set aside, it's kind of like, quote-unquote, the novitiate for the, the, um, the parish priesthood, that you do a year of, of formation and prayer, and et cetera. And it really, as I've, I've heard it said, a detox from the culture and from media. That there's going to be, I mean, I think that they're trying to get to the human formation and maybe the spiritual formation. I, I think they see there's, a, there's a, a lack there. And so I would agree that, that probably was, those were weak places in my formation as well. So yeah, you said as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, did uh, so you kind of you were you might have been listening in because uh, <laughs> we didn't. I don't think we named it quite so starkly the way you did. But what you said, I I found pretty striking, Father yeah. Lewis. You know, the idea that just to say it again out loud, the spiritual formation wasn't as strong as the formators thought it was, and mm-hmm. that it was lacking in in some significant ways. Would you agree with that? I think so. I think that, you know, I went to Washington, D.C. in the, in the Society of Sons of Peace from the seminary there. And, and so there were, we actually had a lot of um, uh, days of reflection. I think we had, I felt like we had like two a semester, uh, at least one a semester, and maybe some rector's talks were diving into that. So there was a deliberate effort on their part to help, help us to engage in the French school of spirituality as, as it is known. And so there was definitely an effort. It wasn't for lack of effort. Um, if, um, well, but, uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge that a little bit, right? <laughs> well, if you think about the idea, like I can remember one of my dearest friends in the seminary. He was the priest who married Carrie and me. He said, "Tom, don't tell me what's important to you. Let me follow you around day to day, and then I'll tell you what's important to you." Yeah. And I still remember having this conversation on the way to the Gregorian University, walking from the North American College with a, a man who is now a vicar general in a diocese, and we were talking about seminary formation. And I raised a question. I said, shouldn't we have the formation of diocesan priests be based on, in terms of what's emphasized, based on how they'll actually spend their time? I said, and, and hey, I have a PhD in theology. I love theology. But I, I was saying it seems like everything is way overbalanced towards theology when shouldn't we learn how to do things like uh, develop leaders, lead small groups, make disciples, you, you know, things that priests need to do to, to build disciples in community, preach the gospel. And he looked at me like I had two heads. He's like, what are you talking about? And, and again, it was, it was much more as if the seminary life was there to form uh, academics rather than form diocesan priests who are going to be really at the front line, at the place where the church touches the world. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, so I, it seemed to me that the spiritual formation was severely lacking in in the seminary, in terms of the the raw amount of time, attention, and energy, because we had the same thing. We had oh yeah, a spiritual reflection here, and you had a spiritual right. director. But who's really tracking how often you're seeing that director? And there are conferences now and again, but the great majority of time was all about spending time in classes and spending time doing work for the classes. So, yeah. is that too strong? I don't think so. If 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 I had my druthers, or if I had um, you know some some kind of um, influence in a seminary for the diocesan priesthood in the terms of spiritual formation. I would want to strive to your point that we're forming parish priests. That uh, well, what's a great what's a cornerstone of parish priesthood, diocesan priesthood spirituality? Well, presumably we're we're celebrating the mass each day and probably preaching each day. So train us how to pray Lexio Divina and how to draw great riches from that, and also. Help us to engage more deeply in just being with the Lord in Eucharistic adoration. Um, you know, those are two things I, I definitely would have liked. I didn't have any Lexio Divina training in seminary, and Eucharistic adoration was a weekly thing, um, but it was also on the on the um, on the drive of the students in the university, not so much the seminary. Which is so sad to hear, right? right. It was the seminarians that drove the impetus to have adoration. That, Father Nagel, that's that's what happened in my seminary while I was there. There was no adoration when I got there, and it was, this, it was the seminarians who demanded it, and the faculty resisted it um, as being too traditional or too pietistic or whatever. And I guess just listening on, on the two of you, 
again, that was back in the mid nineties. I, I don't know what happens now, but, um, I, I do think, I think that there was some, for instance, at my, in my seminary, you, there was an expectation you'd meet with your spiritual director every other week. And that was, you know, you had to do it. That, that was, it, it was clear that that was an expectation and you would be find out if you weren't doing it. They would come and say, why aren't you? So there, there was some um, uh, accountability in some of those ways. And I, and I do think that there, there were the retreats. Uh, every, there were the, the days of reflections or the evenings of reflection. There were, you know, again, in terms of time, Maybe it wasn't so bad, but I, I, again, I, I, I have to say that the, the biggest problem was that I think the formation staff were themselves not spiritually strong. And I think that it, one of the, if you look around today, because, partially because of the pre-storage, but not just because of that, I just know that the best, peop, the best priests don't go to the seminary, which I think is a strategic error. I think the seminary gets the people that sometimes, well... Um, you know, whatever. Uh, They're not built for a parish life. Yeah, right? or something. And, and it's, it's, you're not getting, it seems to me that where you'd want your best priest would be forming other priests. And I don't well, think and that's, that's the Well, that's the case. documents, right? The, the actual documents of the church say, put your right. holiest, your, your And I don't think that's happening. Fruitful. I guess that's what I'm saying. Is I, I, I felt that. I, I felt that the priests there were people who were kind of misfits or who thought they said had this vocation, but really just because Again, maybe they couldn't do the parish very well, or uh, I don't know. Uh, again, I don't want to get cynical because there were there's exceptions, obviously, in my my faculty. There were good, they were they were playing a good priest, but there there weren't a lot of holy priests. Um, and I would think those those rare birds that develop that way, I I would think I'd want them to um, help form the the next the next generation of priests. What's funny is um, I can remember when. Um, one of the activities we had, and this was both in the minor seminary and then in the major seminary, was the spiritual directors, they would have a session with the students, and they would each share their vision of spiritual direction. And for me, it was like super clear, oh my goodness, this priest, this spiritual director is holy, and everyone's going to choose that one. Everyone's going to want that priest. And sure enough, afterwards, talking to the other seminarians, I'm like, why wouldn't you choose him? And they weren't drawn to the one that, at least to my mind, was the one that was most dialed in spiritually, the one who radiated a sense of godliness, holiness. And and yet it was as if a number of the, a lot of seminarians just didn't have that same draw, at least that I did. Not that I'm, not that I was right, but <laughs> I don't know, this just seemed to be a manifest difference in how they spoke, what they spoke about, their, their approach to spiritual direction, that was like, wow, that person, that priest really is in tune with the Spirit. Yeah. So, I don't know, is that, again, it's, uh, did you have any, did, did you all do it that way as well? Or how, how did you get assigned a spiritual director? So, um, at a Theological College, um, we got a chance in our first week um, to, we scheduled interviews, as it were. They're, like, interviewing us, we're interviewing them, and and kind of trying to get a sense in an hour-long uh, visit if, um, wow. if this was going to be a good match. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, it did, was did a lot. Did you do that with each of them, or did you just say, well, well I think this one might be... Yeah, it, we didn't have to do it with all of them. We, were, we had to do it with some. We didn't, uh, I think, and then we got to like rank our first five picks or something. But first-year menu at the bottom of the ladder, so you got who you got. <laughs> but, um, and I, th- I think who I got was not That's on my list. terrible. I know. <laughs> But uh, I'm well. I hope you're I, not listening. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I I I think I had a good relationship with my first year, but it was, you know, I think I'm a spiritual director. I just know in my humility that I I am who I am. It's not going to be the the best match. I may not be who yeah. this person needs. So that's that's what that is. But but the next year I did get, you know, there's a, a Franciscan priest who's one of our extern spiritual directors, and uh, he and I are friends to this day. And he was my spirit director for the next two years, and and it was just awesome. We still stay in touch and so on. And um, but anyway, so yeah, we got to have some some say. But uh, you know, seniority, you know, the older guys got to choose if they want to switch, so they got first choice. You know, and well, then it was <laughs> we didn't we weren't rationed spiritual directors. So I don't I don't remember everybody saying sorry. I have too many. I'm filled up. I, I don't think that was a case. As I recall. I don't. I think you could. I think you were uh, invited to interview them, um, like you said, Father Lewis. But I didn't. I didn't know who these guys were. I just picked somebody that you know 
seemed like a nice, I don't, you know, not even a nice guy. I don't even remember um, what, on what basis I chose my first spiritual director, but it was nothing very deep. Um, and then, and actually he got called away from his bishop from the, uh, the seminary the following year, and I, I could choose someone that I actually knew because I'd been there for a year. So it is a weird thing, and I, I, w- I would think the new, pr- the new seminarians shouldn't get the bottom of the, the barrel. They probably need good spiritual directors more than anybody else, so. That's so, so, that's so interesting. So uh, today in Sound Insight, this is uh, Tom Curran. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis, and we're talking about um, formation, formation as disciples, and, and getting some insights from their experience in the seminary and seeing how that also applies to our lives of faith as well. So one last comment before we go to break. The best book I ever read about the spirituality of the diocesan priesthood was a book called The Spirituality of the Diocesan Priesthood, written by a Jesuit. Uh, Father George Ashenbrenner. I don't know if you've, if, do you remember that book? It was, so we went in three different decades. I was in the seminary in the 80s, 84 to 89. Father Nagel, you were in in the 90, 90s. 92 to 97. 90, and then Father Lewis, you were? 2007 to 2011. Okay, so those are three different decades, right. and the issues remain. Yeah. That's so interesting over the course of 30, 40 years, 30 years, there's uh, the same issues uh, of, um, spirituality and spiritual formation. I have another theme I want to talk about as a subset of the overarching one, spirituality, but I'll do that in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. So today on the program, I have Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel, and we're talking about um, formation. Uh, Each of us, if we're going to grow as followers of Jesus, there are things we can do. We can make them points of focus. We can be intentional. We can set some goals and and be determined to put in effort to accomplish those goals if, in fact, we're going to grow as disciples. It's just easy to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but what concretely am I doing to improve, to advance, to develop, to grow as a disciple of Jesus? You can take that with any any particular area of your life where you're saying, I have a serious, I'm making serious effort to grow and advance, whether it's, I think of my kids in sports, they have to make serious efforts, sacrifices, and points of focus if they, in fact, are going to develop and grow as players of whatever sport. Well, that by analogy, that's true in our life of faith as disciples. So, fathers, back to you, back to time in the seminary. We were talking about spiritual formation. Now, a subset of that would be one of the most critical areas to develop in terms of formation and spirituality, it would seem to me, is having a spirituality of celibacy, right? So just like for us, I'm married, uh, I, I would want to understand the nature of the vocation of holy matrimony and what are the goals that God established goals for a husband and a wife and married life, and be able to pursue those. And I want to ask you, fathers, how do you, what's your own sense of evaluating how well they prepared you for the spirituality and the lived practice of a celibate life in the seminary? I think, um, I think I got good formation in that regard specifically. It was a theme of, um, our, our second year in theology, you know, the different classes would have um, uh, weekly formation just amongst ourselves. I think it was weekly or twice a month. And for the second year guy, it was focused on just that. Now, I suspect that's because, you know, I entered, I, I think I said before the break, I, I was in seminary 2007 to 2011. It was 2006 to 2011. But my first year in theology was 2007. Well, keep in mind, this is, you know, five years after the Boston Globe broke the Boston um, uh, abuse scandal. And so there was a, a, a pressure to really emphasize uh, healthy uh, celibate chastity and uh, healthy just overall human sexuality, and that, uh, that you know within five years was already pretty ingrained, uh, I suspect, in seminaries across the country. So for those reasons, I think that's the context, and I think that the content of what we got was was really good, and it was it was group discussions, but with the practical and concrete themes that we were talking about. It's interesting that you put it, though, spirituality of celibacy. While no, that phrase was never used, it, would nonetheless, um, it nonetheless was a theme that emerged. Like, you know, you know this is a, not just like, you know, white-knuckling it, you know, saying no to things, but you say no to that and offer that as a sacrifice to say yes 
and so it unfolds into this uh, into this other beautiful reality. That all came about, which you know you can call it a spirituality of celibacy. So I, I think it was pretty strong, actually, where I was. I th- I think um, in the nineties, it was there. There definitely um, celibacy was a was a topic that was um, it was part of the formation. But I'd say it's it was pretty psychological as opposed to spiritual. Um, it, it was it was about having a healthy sexual. Uh, psychology. Um, I think that, so. For me, it's kind. Of, I'm not sure that they actually put it in this category, but I think it was seen more as human formation almost than spiritual formation. Um, so again, the psychological as opposed to the faith dimension of that. So I don't. I'm not sure there is very much. There's as strong in terms of the spiritual dimension of celibacy, but I think that it wasn't ignored as a topic, but it was treated more in terms of. Um, Again, I'm repeating myself, it's psychology and healthy psychology of human development. Um, so, again, I, that's how I remember it. It, uh, it was there, but it, um, it, it wasn't something that, um, that, again, struck me as being a particularly spiritually fruitful approach. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you a few sort of thoughts that I had about my time. And um, at the level of the formation program, it was principally done in terms of don'ts. You can't date, uh, don't have particular friendships, you know, things like that would be identified as you're not going to be able to discern celibacy if you're doing these other things. So there are a bunch of don'ts. Um, the, the approach in terms of conversation around celibacy was much more on the psychological side. It was very much connected to a sense of a healthy understanding of your own sexual identity and the way that that could be lived out as well and should be lived out as well as a seminarian discerning priesthood and living as a celibate. So it was very much psychological healthfulness. And um, what what was not really, like it was more in the air, and it wasn't a, a, a great point of focus, were things like the theology of celibacy. Mm-hmm. Like I remember um, reading... Um, uh, uh, on the celibacy of the priesthood. It's like Sacerdotalis uh, Celibatus or something like that. I don't remember the name of it, but it was a um, it was a document. Was it Second Vatican Tal- Council's document on celibacy, priestly celibacy, or was that from Paul VI? I, I, I apologize, I don't remember. But I remember like, the theology of celibacy that was in there was so rich. I was so excited to understand it. And then I began to notice that the framework that a lot of my brother seminarians saw celibacy through was either through, well, it's a necessary entailment because I want to be a priest, right? So because I, I feel called to be a priest, I, I, I got to be celibate. The second was uh, the duty. Well, I, I made a promise and I'm going to keep my promise. That's the white knuckling. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the third is principally through the lens of sacrifice, um, celibacy, its positive content is that it's making a sacrifice to be married. And, and so it's through that lens principally. And it, it, all of those things were so foreign to my approach to celibacy. My approach to celibacy was this is a, a positive invitation to a level of intimacy with the Lord that is a total being held in reserve, which is, I don't know if that's more consecrated life approach to, um, you know, consecrated chastity or, or, or virginity or um, celibacy in that, um, uh, in that context. But that was the one, it was a very exalted call. And it was an invitation to a total way of loving. And I just remember that there was, like, no one just said to me in the seminary what I just said to you in two minutes. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody laid it out like that. And then the concept of the spirituality of celibacy of a diocesan priest was linking the reality of celibacy to the celebration of the Eucharist. Mm. That there's a particular way in which diocesan priestly celibacy is Eucharistically centered um, around, uh, around that act of, um, of, of presiding at the Eucharist. There was something particularly um, profound about the linkage between those two things. Um, and, and I'll just stop there because there's a whole other dimension, and that is the dimension of the level of asceticism needed 
to be able to attain to the spiritual availability to come into contact with the riches of the celibate life. That if you aren't practicing a serious degree of penance and asceticism, you won't be chaste, you won't be continent, you won't be creating the spiritual discipleship foundations to enter into the heights of the exalted call to be celibate. All right, there's a whole mouthful. <laughs> you know, something you said there, Tom, uh, was interesting. You said that you, you never heard it uh, in, in your seminary experience, the, the positive side of it. And um, I would say, for, for me and my experience, we did get quite a bit of that. Um, some of us thought, you know, myself included, almost too in excess and, and no, no, no talk of, uh, of sacrifice. It was always catch. Now, we had a talk of like the don'ts do this, but the word sacrifice never came up. And, um, and it was like they were trying to make it, an, um, which it is a positive thing, but, but, um, but make it such like, you know, you're saying no to this, but you're saying yes to all of this. And that's like, and that's true. But the sacrifice I would have liked to hear more. And, and me and my best friend from seminary, who's a priest now in Washington, D.C., Archdiocese, we, we you know it in, it spurred in us a conversation just between ourselves about you know we can't let go of the fact and, and ignore the fact that there's still sacrifice involved the, the 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 natural human sexual drive is still there and let's just call it what it is and and that's going to be a hole in our lives that can't be filled exactly with anything else and that's where the sacrifice is if it's a sacrifice it's gone. I don't get to say, well, I'm saying no to this, but saying yes to this, I'm not really out anything. I'm saying no to this, and it's gone. But what we got from that, the positive through that sacrifice, is this is another means by which we can embrace not just the priesthood of Jesus Christ, but the victimhood of Jesus Christ, who said no to, to things that he wanted to, including come down from the cross. He said no to that because of the sacrifice of self that was for a far greater good. And so... Um, but we embraced the sacrifice in that conversation and attached it to we're embracing the victimhood of Jesus Christ along with our priesthood. And, um, and But it began with the sense of sacrifice first. It was a beautiful conversation and you know that kind of came out of that talk uh, with our class. I, again, I think I was somewhere in between there. I, I didn't really... I don't remember there being much talk about the positives in, in terms of theological, spiritual positives. Um, and yet there wasn't a lot of talk about this, the theolo theology of sacrifice or the asceticism either. Um, and that might have been, there's, I think there was some probably, I, I, to say embarrassment is probably, but awkwardness. Um, they, they didn't go to either direction. It was, again, a psychological, this will be good for you. Um, and here's how it can be good for you, and here's how to do it well. But I didn't. I, neither of those other directions I, I remember much. Maybe it just didn't have an impact on me. But I don't remember that being part of the, the discussion. So it's. Um, uh, I did a. Um, I did a, a several programs on Sound Insight on thirty themes or topics that I never heard discussed in the seminary. And when I say never, I meant not a homily, not a day of reflection, not a retreat, not a lecture, not a course, never talked about. And I came up with 30 themes, which was pretty shocking. Now, to be fully fair, I didn't uh, I, I did identify, well, we did cover that in one or two lectures here or um, one or two maybe references in a homily there, right? So um, I, I, I want you to be thinking about that, fathers. But because uh, I'm going to ask you, can you think of a theme that you ever heard focused on? But one of the themes that I never heard focused on was asceticism. I'm trying to remember if I ever heard a homily, a talk, a retreat, or anything about doing penance. The closest might have been fasting. But even then, I'm trying to think, it had to be fewer than five times, much fewer than that for sure, that I ever heard an exploration of the relationship between fasting and growth in the spiritual life. Not even a thing. Spiritual warfare Zero. Now, how do you get through 
six, five years of seminary life in all of those different dimensions and never hear a talk at all about the fact that there, there is a demonic realm that hates you and hates you even more that you are discerning the priesthood and that demonic force is going to come at you in 25 different ways to upend, overthrow, slow you down, trip you up, confuse you, and you have to learn how to equip yourself with spiritual weapons to battle against forces that will attempt to um, uh, knock you away from living a celibate spirituality or the or approaching the priesthood. Um, so I just I want to bring up those two themes: the theme of penance in relationship to celibacy, or spiritual warfare in uh, in relationship to developing and living as a healthy, holy, celibate priest of God. Mm-hmm. Um, when you define those 30 things that, that were never brought up, would you include like they were never even brought up among your uh, uh, peers in the seminary, like in conversations? Or is that, no, would that be I, no okay, because right? typically what would happen is I would bring them up with my <laughs> friends, yeah. right? Like uh, I would bring them up with my friends and because it, it was things that were may, maybe more important to us, sure. right? I can, I, can, I can find the list if you want to see it, but, yeah. uh, but go ahead. Well, I, I was just thinking about that because some of those, I, I remember the list because I think in a conversation in a recording a couple weeks ago, we alluded to it. And um, and some of those things uh, never were brought up, as you say, in those categories. But they were topics of conversation, and and not just in passing conversation. But that's not you know that's kind of the community formation of seminary, but not the guided uh, you know formation of the faculty and those you know entrusted with that with that duty. But I did we did have spiritual warfare that was a topic um, in our college seminary here in Bishop White when Father Darren Connell was our rector. It did come up in homilies a couple of times, and one one instance I will always remember is he said, "You know, Satan hates what you're doing, and the closer you get to doing God's will, the more intense Satan's attacks to thwart you from that." And um, and so I mean, he spoke like that in, in you know in a couple of different homilies. So we did hear that. Um, it, I don't think it came up in in the theology level though. You know, I I was thinking. I I have to be honest. I'm not sure I really trust my memory of what I. What I did or did not hear, um, so I don't want to make sort of sweeping judgments. I do. I do think there was there was a class, uh, an, an optional class that was a, it was an elective on Satan uh, that people could take, and I do remember a, a couple of homilies by a priest uh, that, that dealt with. I think he only said he used the title spiritual warfare, but I dealt with that in some level. But I think that you mentioned the, 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 what what I never. You know, never heard in one of the things, and I think it's related to spiritual warfare. One thing I never heard in, in the seminary, I'm pretty sure about this, is anything to do with the charismatic uh, movement or the charisms. I don't think that really was ever uh, brought up at all. So that whole dimension that I knew some some of my priest friends were coming out of that experience, and um, but that wasn't that wasn't part of the program at all. So that was one thing I do remember. Funny story. So um, I had a background in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal before I entered the seminary, and one of my dear friends was a member of what's called the Covenant Community. And so it's a more intensive commitment that is an attempt to live as um, you know, a disciple of Jesus in the world, but you're making commitments to walk together in faith through a, what's called a covenant, and families would do that, etc. Um, and this, this is Catholic, right? But it was also... Um, intimately connected to the charismatic spirituality. Well, we were in Rome, and a couple of members of this community were traveling together, and they came to lunch at the North American College. And so we were sitting there, and the fellow said, completely sincerely, he said, so um, this is amazing being in this great seminary. He says, so what do you guys learn to do? Like, do you learn how to like pray for healing and, and how to like cast out demons and, and pray for deliverance? And I just <laughs> spit up my food. I'm like, what? Uh, I'm like, if only, if only, you know, the idea of praying for deliverance and praying for healing with the expectation that signs and wonders and deeds of power will happen when you pray with expectant faith. And these are charisms that are active and operating in the church today. Wow. Wow. That, wouldn't that be amazing? 
right? Yeah. That's at the uh, post-ordination graduate level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so was the um, was the renewal or that idea of the gifts of the spirit operating in the church today, um, and something that you can seek? Even let's just say more broadly, charismatic renewal is connected to something called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks hear that phrase and they get like a little nervous, like, okay, what exactly do you mean by that? Is that like an eighth sacrament? What is that? And here I'll just define it simply: it is the release of the gifts and graces already given in baptism and confirmation that were entrusted but not yet fully realized. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Aquinas. Aquinas talks about that. Mm. That, um, that in certain sacraments, uh, there is a dramatic component where grace is given or it's offered, and if it's not received, it's lost, like going to communion. Mm. You miss it, you're gone, you lost it. Others convey the grace and the grace is given, but it's not yet fully received because of the state, the situation of the receiver. And the image there is, um, so I have this really cool new computer in, in this office. It's, it's in that box, Father Lewis. <laughs> now, can you describe what the computer looks like? No. You cannot, and why not? There's a, it's boxed. It's boxed. It's, it's not box. open. <laughs> yeah. Now, have I received it? Yes. Is it having the full impact it's meant to have what, now that it's been given to me. Some assembly required. Some assembly required. No, it has to be unpacked. It right. has to be set up. It has to be plugged in. It has to be turned on. E- easy example, that's the gift of the Holy Spirit in confirmation. It's given but not yet fully yielded to. And, and this is Aquinas. He calls it revivescence, reviving grace is given but not yet fully received. So baptism of the Holy Spirit is a prayer praying for a deeper release and yielding to, a deeper empowerment with, of the Holy Spirit given but not yet fully yielded to. Yeah, yeah we didn't have any of that in, yeah. in my seminary. <laughs> now, when I was in seminary, um, you know, our summer assignments at parishes, there was one summer assignment, uh, I recall, where the pastor was conducting like a called and gifted workshop and getting into, into some of this. And that's that was my first exposure to this idea, um, but it was not part of a seminary uh, formation program. We'll come back to this in a minute. Uh, we're up against a break on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. So, fathers, we are we're talking about the Holy Spirit now. We kind of have been led. We've yes. been prompted into mm-hmm. this topic. There we go. Just make it spiritual. There we go. Uh-huh. Unless you tell me my discernment is off. Speaking of which, there's another topic, <laughs> right? It, discernment is one of the most critical areas of the life of faith that I, I know I get asked yeah. at events. Yeah. And it's not the big picture discernment of a state in life. That happens too. But it's more discernment about daily issues, sometimes bigger, sometimes smaller, but still have a lot at stake. Like, how do I sense what God is asking of me in this relationship right now, in this situation, in this place of conflict? Or should I move in this direction? Should I commit to doing this particular initiative? And just talk about equipping priests to be able to guide uh, lay people or even having lay people understand how to discern God's will in daily life. Yeah, Wouldn't that be helpful? Totally helpful, and you know, I, I, I was I was blessed to be asked by Bishop Daly to participate in, in a program. The Institute for Priestly Formation put mm-hmm. on a work a spiritual training, spiritual direction training workshop, where we were trained, among other things, precisely in this: how to help people to discern what's going on. I think um, I think a great uh, sorrow, a great lack I perceive in the average parishioner is that we're we're not discerning enough, and so when it comes to I need to discern this some heavy matter. Well, you're not really practiced in it, and so it's going to be that much more difficult. You know, if you ask me to sit down and, and work out this this uh, mathematical long division problem, I'm going to be I'm I'm not going to know what I'm doing. But if I were doing that every day, no problem. So when we're out of the practice, it's harder. We got to get into it, and uh, so I think discernment is that. If people would like discern, you know, should I you know have five donuts today for breakfast or maybe something healthier, you know. We can start small and work up, and then when we get to the big things that we need to discern, and with guidance of a priest or another trusted spirit director, then it's it's more fruitful and it's uh, probably just easier. I think discernment is a huge topic. I I think it's very it's needed. People want to know about it. They don't use the word usually, but but still, that's what they're asking. I think a change for the positive in seminaries in terms of discernment and formation in that regard. I would even just say the uh, Ignatian retreats. 
Um, if you're t- seriously doing an eight-day or better yet, a 30-day Ignatian retreat, you're going to learn something about discernment no matter what. Uh, if you go through the spiritual exercises, you're going – and I, I've been to the IPF uh, spiritual direction class as well. That was really quite good in, in terms of that. But I think even just yourself, um, if you have a good director for a 30-day retreat, um, I think that that can be helpful. Just you know, you can you can apply that elsewhere, um, and as you say, in smaller smaller areas or more daily um, questions. And I do think that that's much more um, the idea of a 30-day retreat is much more accessible and quote unquote normal today than it was when I was going to seminary. That really wasn't an option. So okay, so one we talked about one of the most prominent themes that. Um, I think we all get asked where parishioners are coming forward and saying, help, I'm trying to figure out God's will for me in this moment, whether or not they're using the concept of discernment. There's one topic that supersedes that, that that happens more regularly in terms of the questions I get asked than that. Can you think of what that would be? The most common question that I get asked by someone who's trying to grow as a disciple. I would guess... uh how do I pray? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I don't know how to pray every day. Yeah. Yeah. So what form does it take when people ask you, Father? They might, you know, well, they might ask, um, I'm, um, I'm feeling dryness in prayer, things like that. And then I ask, well, what are you doing for prayer? And do they use that word dryness? They use distractions a lot. Sometimes they use distractions. You know, I gave a talk in my, for, my, for my parishioners that the four dreaded Ds of prayer. There was uh, dryness and distractions. Uh, doubt and uh, discouragement. Actually, and then I added a fifth one when you've just given up and now you've got despair. And um, so, but of the of those four, distractions and dryness come up. And um, maybe some of the kind of the more uh, spiritually uh, developed uh, parishioners will use dryness. Otherwise, it's I get distracted in prayer, I, I, I lose focus. And um, so they're trying to pray, but they don't know how to bring it to the next level. And what they're doing is praying the prayers of their childhood. So the memorized prayers which is fine and beautiful place to start, um, and, and certainly worked into, you know, I still pray the memorized prayers, of course, you know, as many of us do. So there's nothing wrong with that, but if, you know, at a certain point, we're just going to want more, and, and people sense that, and then that's when they come and ask, I'm getting distracted in prayer, I'm getting dryness in prayer, help me out here. Or they just say, nothing's happening, or I just get bored. Um, that's the non-theologically, you know, inclined vocabulary people, but it is, you know, I, I preach all the time about 20 minutes a day of silent, solitary prayer with, with Jesus. I mean, that's just, I just beg people to, to, to go away for 20 minutes a day. And that's often the time, well, what do I do? Uh, what, what am I doing for 20 minutes? So that's where it comes in and saying, how do I pray? Yeah. yeah. Do you, um, I think one of the things is uh, developing daily spiritual habits, so what do I do in a prayer time is definitely like the most common. But then even be help having them become familiar with a morning offering. Mm-hmm. Like what's the first thing you do? And then the, the idea of an examination of conscience. What's mm-hmm. the last thing you do? And then um, I know a real big one that's a big challenge. And, and, and you tell me, fathers, what's the bigger challenge? Is it for couples to pray together, or is it family prayer time? What do I do to pray as a family? Hmm. I wonder if couples praying with each other is more difficult, because I, I wonder if couples be like, oh, of course we'll pray as a family, and then the adults can kind of like, oh, good, the kids will take it from here, and I don't have to be spiritually vulnerable in front yeah. of people. But it's just you and your spouse, yeah. <laughs> that's how I've. That's my experience too. I think that couple, the couple praying together is a bigger, a bigger uh, sort of chasm to to bridge than just the family prayer. It's true. I I would uh, I would definitely agree with that. But it does feel like in both of those dimensions, they're very ill-equipped, uh-huh. right? So you think about seminary formation, and you fathers went through at least five years mm-hmm. of seminary formation before you were ordained. And I think, isn't that the requirement before you get married is five years of formation? Right, right. Is that right? It ought to be. <laughs> <laughs> is it five months? Is it, is it six months is recommended? Do they even have a requirement? In our diocese, I think it's five or six months, yeah. 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 And, and you think about, God bless us, the um, level of preparation for a 
let's say, a godly Catholic understanding of the nature of the married life, the nature of the married vocation, is so woefully inadequate um, for most people. Go ahead, Father. Well, I was thinking, you know, honestly, the Church in the past assumed that the cultural formula in marriage, obviously that's not true anymore, it hasn't been for a long time, but I do think that's a that's an area that we should be looking at, and I think it's one of the great weaknesses of the Catholic uh, high schools system that there is no marriage preparation or theology offered. I mean, where else are you going to get it? And I so I, I think that's a huge huge hole there because it used to be that you you did more or less get a lot of marriage prep and formation just by your parents, your family, and it was the culture pretty did a you know okay job. Um, now, no, lo- no longer. It has to be very intentional, I think. Yeah. So, so interesting. I um, earlier in last week, in the middle of the week, I gave um, like part of one program and then another program on courtship. Yeah. And um, uh, it was so interesting because it just happened that courtship showed up as like in my feed in YouTube. So I watched about three different because one will lead to another, and I watched several. Uh, or listened to several talks on courtship. Mm-hmm. And these were courtship as it has been traditionally understood in contrast with the modern understanding of dating right. in relationship to getting married. And it was, it was pretty eye-opening, mm-hmm. to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Really pretty striking. All right, what begins to break? When we come back, um, we can continue to dig in that, but I want to make sure that we come back around to the Holy Spirit and a time of novena to the Holy Spirit. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel, Father Jeff Lewis, and we're talking about formation, just uh, forming, for being formed as disciples uh, in family life, individuals, as you folks are listening. Oh, I, I want to I I make sure that we talked about prayer and, and, and how challenging it is for prayer. Not everyone's going to be able to come to your talk, Father Lewis, on prayer, <laughs> or listen to your homilies, Father Nagel, on uh, uh, the importance of praying for 20 minutes a day. Uh, are there, and I know we've done this before in Sun Insight, but not a bad time to revisit as folks are moving towards the summer. Um, are there some uh, books that you would, or even websites, books or sources of help for folks that are hungry to grow in prayer? Well, one thing that comes to mind uh, right away for me, it's, uh, it's, it's the imitation of Christ. It's the spiritual classic. And... Um, it doesn't necessarily teach you, like, here's how to pray, but I think just reading through it at a prayerful pace um, invites reflection. Okay, what does this mean? And, you know, imagine, imagine myself receiving man, the you words are, of Christ. Man, you're hard. That's I a, know. man, you are, you're like, you have a very high expectation. Well, I, could, I love that. That's strong. <laughs> if well, I was going to go with the classic, I wouldn't have gone with that one. Well, okay, I mean, what's the classic I would have gone with? Come on now, read my mind. Francis de Sales. <laughs> Well, introduction, introduction, to the, introduction to the devout life. If yeah. I, if you're gonna say you got to go to a classic, then I'm gonna go with that one. Yeah. All right. But um, go, please continue because that that's like that's major league stuff. Yeah. Right? I'm talking. We get to get on the little league. If we want <laughs> little league, I, introduction I have to a prayer. weaker answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, ahead. but it's still good. I think anything by Jacques Philippe is a good. Those yes. Little, I think something like in the school of the Holy Spirit or time for God or you know, searching about, for and maintaining yeah, and peace. peace. I mean, those little they're usually eighty hundred pages, small pages, but he he's deep, and so that would be my recommendation for a contemporary spiritual master to begin prayer. That's kind of where I would go. And I find it interesting. I had a theory, and it's, I think it's proven somewhat true. It's like every 10 years you have another like flavor of the decade right. in terms of yeah. books on prayer where it's like, wow, I've never read this before. Well, you go back 10 years, and it was Father Benedict Rochelle. Yeah, you go right. back 10 years, and it was uh, – do you remember Thomas Green? That's before yeah. your time, Father Lewis. <laughs> I in remember my time I in, books, yeah. Yeah, so it was Opening to God and Weeds Among the Wheat, and right. there was a third one on um, – the second one, Weeds Among the Weeds on Discernment, a really good book. Opening the God was a Basics of Prayer, and then there's a third one he wrote as well about contemplative When the well runs dry? Well runs dry, yes. Yeah, so that was another one. Um, so there, you know, there's several, um, you know, the, the sort of, again, great um, spiritual writers for a time. Like Adrian von Kamm, to speak of the, yeah. that idea of psychology and spirituality coming together, very popular when, when we were, uh, when, when we were in, when I was in the seminary, when before you were born, <laughs> Father Lewis. So, um, but yes, but there are some perennial 
books that are definitely worth reading. And I think some books that are like when you read them, you go, whoa. And I have a couple of woe books. What are your woe books, Father, that uh, Father Lewis, that you're like, everyone should read this? And, and not the classics, uh, like a <laughs> woe book for you that you think that, wow, someone will really be blessed to read this book. Well, I'm I'm in the midst right now of In Conversation with God by Father Francis Fernandez, who's an Opus Dei priest, and uh, uh, and so diving deep into Saint Jose Maria Escrivá, and um, and there's reflections tied to the to the to a theme or to the feast or to the readings of the day, but uh, and and begins in a very spiritual, and but then everyone without fail starts to get into the practical, and well, that's that's Opus Dei, that's what they do, and um, and they're actually a series of them, so I mean. Um, I think that's that's a good one. It's very practical and they're very accessible. And each day is like five pages. Nice. I, I again, Jacques Philippe would be something that I think is always worked well. There, you know, I don't know if the, the the Wow book that I have never works with anybody else. So that's fine. <laughs> well, I want to hear it. I still want to hear it. Thomas DeBay's Fire Within. That, oh, that changed yeah. things for me, but that yeah. may not, that's not necessarily a beginner book. That's a heavy book, yes. Yeah, but that was, that was a big a, deal. That was huge. Um, I do think that we, who, that Polish priest, who was the priest that oh, we read? Oh, right, uh, Father Dajer. Yes. yes. Yeah. The I Gift thought, of Faith. I thought that was a good one, too. Oh, man, that book, that drives <laughs> you to your knees. Holy cow. Yeah, so Father Dajer, Tadeusz Dajer, uh, amazing book. Father Lewis, have you ever read that? Oh, no. you got to read that book. Oh, it'll kick your butt. Um, <laughs> I have three. One is uh, by Van Balthazar called Heart of the World, which is just amazing. And then two books by Louis Evely, E-V-E-L-Y. Mm. One is called That Man Is You, and the other one is called We Dare to Say Our Father. It's about it's mm. a commentary on the Our Father. And it just, my my oldest daughter um, just like, whoa, <laughs> right? She gives it to her her Christian roommates, and they're like, oh, we want to become Catholic when they read this book, these books, because they're so – like, we're, we've never heard anything like this before. Mm-hmm. And they're encountering the riches and depths of our Catholic spiritual tradition. So those are three books that I just think are amazing. So, all right, final word of encouragement. You've got 20 seconds each, fathers. Well, we'll finally get a little bit to the Holy Spirit. So we're on our way to Pentecost and uh, – if uh, it's not too late to do something of a novena, praying specifically to the God, the Holy Spirit, uh, to unfold the gifts that have been given us uh, as we prepare for Pentecost. And I would just simply say, yes, seminarians, we, we, we were formed human, spiritual, academic, and pastoral. But those are, those are for lay people too, those same categories work for you. And uh, you can and should be, and God wants you to be formed just as well. Amen. Yes. Thank you for that. All right. God bless your day, everyone. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.